It was a war guided by men like Washington, Franklin, Adams, Hamilton, and Jefferson, who wanted an American empire of their own, and who were in fact partly motivated by the British Empire not being imperialist enough. After the War of Independence, Britain's trade with the United States surpassed what its trade had been with the Thirteen Colonies. Even with the interruption of the War of 1812, Britain was not only a trading partner, it was a tremendous source of new Americans. From the end of that war, 1815, through the presidency of Zachary Taylor, 1850, roughly 80% of British emigrants came to the United States. We can presume they saw America as a second Britain, but one with more opportunity. Despite occasional diplomatic kerfuffles, there was an ineluctable bond between Britain and the United States, a bond that encompassed everything from the influence British literature had over American writers to the quietly conducted power politics of the Royal Navy, helping enforce the Monroe Doctrine. In 1899, when Rudyard Kipling published his famous poem about picking up the white man's burden, his purpose was not to urge his fellow Britons to greater sacrifices, but to congratulate the United States for accepting an imperial mission in the Philippines, joining Britain not as a global rival, but as a partner in extending the blessings of Christian civilization. At the time, Theodore Roosevelt thought Kipling's poem was bad verse, but good politics. Today, at least in English literature courses, if it is taught at all, it is merely another exhibit in a long litany of Western condescension to and exploitation of native peoples. But Kipling frames the white man's burden rather differently. It means binding your best men to serve another people— to take up what he says will be a thankless task, yet one that a mature and Christian people must do, to banish famine and sickness, to provide peace and order, to build roads and ports, to seek the profit of another rather than oneself. Kipling knew the British Empire as well as any man, and he saw it clear-eyed with all the blood and sacrifice and repression of self and others it entailed. He was a patriot for his own country, but India was his country too the country where he was born and where his imagination was ignited. The British Empire of the 21st Century Academic Lecture Hall, however, is something utterly different. The idea that the British Empire was a white man's burden is treated with scorn, contempt, and ridicule. The empire was not a responsibility borne by self-sacrificing Britons. On the contrary, the empire was a vehicle of rapacious, self-serving capitalists responsible for racism, slavery, and oppression on a global scale. But which was it, really? True, the British Empire was responsible for a portion of the slave trade, but it was also responsible for ending it. Indeed, the British Empire's war against slavery was actually a major factor driving imperial expansion, as the Royal Navy patrolled the coasts of Africa, the Persian Gulf, and the East Indies, and sent troops inland, especially in Africa, to put slavers out of business. British taxpayers also paid off the former slave owners in the British West Indies, spending £20 million, about 37% of the British government's revenue, in 1831, to ensure that slaves were liberated or made apprentices. True, the British Empire was animated by the belief that a public school-educated Englishman was capable of governing any number of native peoples, but the empire also relied, to an extraordinary extent, on the cooperation of the native peoples. Their governing structures were often left largely intact, 
Their aristocracies were generally treated as legitimate elites, and it was the native peoples themselves who provided many or most of the foot soldiers who enforced the imperial Pax Britannica. True, the British conquered other peoples, drew lines on maps, and declared large portions of the globe part of the empire. But it is also true that in doing so the British introduced their ideas about the rule of law, liberty, and parliamentary self-government, not to mention their games of cricket, soccer, rugby, tennis, and golf, their literature, their ideas about what constituted fair play, and, to use an imperial word, a Hindi word, their ideas of what was paka and what was not. No plan but profits, progress, and poleaxing the French. We seem, as it were, to have conquered and peopled half the world in a fit of absence of mind.